following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Our scripture comes from Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. Paul preaches in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout people, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of divine divinities, of foreign divinities. This is because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Well, thanks, Denise, for that reading. And... Um... What a, what a fun passage that, that is in the book of Acts. So we have uh, just two more weeks. That's today and next Sunday in this Open Doors series. And uh, I have to say that I have um, been taking such joy in preaching these sermons. And some of it has to do with uh, the freedom that has come with um, some of the announcements we've made. And some of it has to be with just... Um, how inspiring I'm finding these stories in the book of Acts. I hope that you've um, found some blessing in this as well. I am going to give you what for me is a pretty rare, like maybe once or twice a year plug to go back and listen to prior sermons. Um, 
Mostly I'm horrified to think that it even exists out there, that anybody could go <laughs> and listen again. Um, but this series has been really special, and uh, if you haven't been able to listen to each one of them, I would encourage you to go back and, and um, make sure that you're, you're hearing each of them, especially last week's Powerhouse Sermon by Pastor Judy Howard Peterson, uh, which is one that I'm going to be re-listening to, I think, several times over the coming months um, for its uh, not only inspirational power, but for its encouragement to do something that might be difficult or even painful at times to do. So, today's story in the book of Acts is a little bit different from all of the previous ones that we've um, been encountering. And the reason is this. What we find by the time we get to Acts 17 is that it it has already been established by the events that have taken place so far in the book that the Gentiles are going to be part of the mission of the church. So by the time we get to Acts 17, we've already experienced Acts 8, where the Ethiopian eunuch uh, has this encounter divinely orchestrated by the Holy Spirit with the Apostle Philip and uh, advocates for himself and says, what's to prevent me from being baptized and being part of this new movement? And Philip says, well, nothing. (laughs) By the time we get to Acts 17, we've already had Acts 10, where Cornelius and Peter, both separately inspired by the Holy Spirit, to come to this place, have a meeting in person, which would have been deemed impossible because one was a Jew and one was a Gentile, uh, and in which Cornelius and his whole household are converted to Christianity and are baptized. And Philip says, whoa, (laughs) who am I to stop this movement of God? We've already had, by the time we get to Acts uh, Acts 17, the story of Acts 11, where Peter goes back to the church in Jerusalem, the bigwigs, the ones who really matter, and reports to them what has happened among the Gentiles. And where that church of people says, not, um, I don't think you've been reading your Bible just right, because that's not possible, but rather where they listen, they remain silent to hear the story, and where they rejoice and celebrate for what God is doing among the Gentiles. By the time we get to Acts 17, we've already had Acts 15. This is just basic math, you know, counting. The lower numbers come first and the higher numbers come later. But in Acts 15, we have the story of the church in Jerusalem under the leadership of James, brother of Jesus, making the formal declaration that we are not going to trouble the Gentiles with the whole law. We're not going to make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And so the church has officially endorsed this Um, this movement of the Holy Spirit, as if the the Holy Spirit needs the church's official endorsement. But the church needs it sometimes. The people are a little slower than the Spirit. And so by the time we get to Acts 17, what I'm trying to say is that we have formalized that preaching to the Gentiles is going to be part of the strategic plan. It's... um, it's going to be how they uh, live out Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Not all, uh, no longer will it only happen because of a dramatic, uh, unexpected intervention by the Holy Spirit, you know, arranging for meetings between people who wouldn't have meetings otherwise. Now it's going to be part of the plan. We go to a new city, we're not only going to go into the synagogue and talk to the Jews, but we're going to go into the secular or Gentile places. As we'll see in a minute, it's actually not a secular place. But we're going to preach to anyone who will listen. And so what we see in Acts 17 is that the Apostle Paul finds himself in the city of Athens doing just that. 
It says he starts out by going to the synagogues and arguing with the Jews, and then he goes to the marketplace and argues with the Gentiles, and you sort of have to wonder, is it just that Paul likes to argue with people? (laughs) Will he just argue with anybody? (laughs) Do you know anybody like that? I'm not picky about who I argue with. (laughs) But that's the story that you heard Denise read just a few minutes ago, and I I do want to spend a few minutes now uh, thinking about what it means for us as we try to open our doors wider in response to the work that we see the Holy Spirit doing. So the story starts out that Paul um, is walking around the city and it says he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Um, And uh, I had to chuckle when I read this story because it's almost as if Paul is going... Okay, it's fine that we're going to welcome the Gentiles, but do they have to be so Gentile about it? (laughs) Do they have to be so idolatrous? Do they have to be polytheistic? Do they have to be so far outside of what we're used to? He's dismayed not only at the way that they practice their religion, but at the religion they practice at all. And as I said, this story is different from all the other ones. It's not just that the Spirit speaks to the church and says, hey, I'm doing some work among the Gentiles and you should probably get on board. It's that they have to make a specific plan to reach Gentiles in a gentile way. And so what I think, I've, what I've noticed this week as I've been looking at this passage And I'm noticing it for the first time. Now, I've preached on this text a bunch of times over the years. I've got well over a decade of of sermon notes to go through. And I've I've taught on Acts 17 before. It is and has been for some time one of my favorite passages. But one of the things I love about the scriptures is that you can find a favorite passage and kind of dig down into it year after year and come back to it time and time again. And the Spirit breathes new life into it and shows you new things in it um, each time. And so the thing that I think I'm seeing here in this story in kind of a new or fresh way for myself is that he's, he's, Paul is being forced to expand his mind even more. Now let's remember, this is the person who was persecuting the church. He was in charge of snuffing out Christianity until he was himself converted in a rather dramatic fashion. So his mind has already expanded significantly. To imagine just the possibility, not only that this might be true, um, but that this might be for Gentiles, not just for the Jewish folks in which the movement started. And so not only is he being led by the Spirit to open the doors wider, but he's being led by the Spirit to proclaim the gospel intentionally to a Gentile audience in a way that they can understand uniquely, in a way that Jewish people wouldn't understand or accept at all. And that's a subtle new observation for me, but I think it's really quite powerful. And it results in some pretty amazing preaching in Acts 17, Preaching that I think if it were truly followed as a model today would get most preachers and evangelists fired. Because it is way too agreeable to idolatry. 
it's way too agreeable to um, supposedly unchristian or pagan ideas and practices. So what could we say about Paul's response to the Athenians? We could say a few things. The first is that he affirmed their religious curiosity where it was. This was a group of people who, the text tells us, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the newest and latest ideas. Do you know anybody who who is like that? Who spends all of their time talking about and listening to the latest and newest ideas? Maybe even religiously, they they might say, I'm spiritual but not religious. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever said that about yourself? I used to say that about myself, and then for reasons that I don't need to get into today, I've stopped saying it about myself. I, I think it's probably time for me and maybe some of you to stop being ashamed of the idea of being religious um, and to start thinking more expansively about what that might mean. <laughs> um, I'm a person who thinks words, who, words matter. Um, so he affirms their religious curiosity where it is. He says to them, I see that you are in every way religious. And the thing that I'm seeing that maybe I never saw before is that he seems to affirm the reality that they have found meaning in their religious practice. They have found meaning even in their religious practice that, that is not the same in type or kind or origin or culture as what he has always practiced himself, which then blossomed into a kind of amazing new understanding of God. This, this is something in, in a completely different category, though. And he seems to be affirming that that is the, the meaning that they have received from their religious tradition, their pagan, idolatrous religious tradition, is in fact real meaning. Right. I have pointed out every time I preach on this that he, he actually quotes their own poets. Right. If you are um, interested in classic Greek Poetry, you might look up Epimenides and Eratus. These are the two poets that, um, from the Greek tradition several centuries before the time of Jesus that Paul quotes uh, in his sermon to the um, Athenians. And these are not like generically Gentile poets, right? It's not like he's finding some uh, abstract truth in the Iliad that he can then apply to Jesus. no. He's actually quoting pagan poetry in this text. When he says, as even your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being, that, that piece of poetry is not about Yahweh, the Hebrew God. Right? It's about Zeus. I'm not joking. That's a poem about Zeus. And so he affirms that religious curiosity and the meaning that they found in their tradition as as valid. And yet, he unashamedly points them toward Jesus and toward repentance, right? Which is a word that's, I think, probably loaded with a lot of meaning that it doesn't always originally intend to have in the scriptures. But he tells them all of this truth and meaning that you've found. That's all been Jesus all along. (laughs) Because Jesus is the one who has encompassed you from the beginning. And by the way, Jesus is the one who's encompassed me from the beginning as well. 
I love that Paul says he is not far from any of us. You see how that sort of includes himself among the people he's evangelizing? It's, it's much less a pedestal saying, God has not been far from you ever. Even you down there. He says, he's not far from any one of us. We are on the, this level playing field, kind of trying to sort this all out. And so as we as a church begin to think about how we are going to open our doors, given the, given the model of Paul's preaching in Acts 17, I mean, what we could say is it doesn't mean we're going to stop uh, being explicitly Christian, right? Jesus, uh, Paul makes no apology that, that he has a very Jesus-y message, We are a Christian church, and we are unashamedly and unapologetically part of the body of Christ. So it doesn't mean any changes in that regard. But what I think it might mean, and this again, this is the thing that's just starting to poke at my brain and heart in this season. What it might mean is that we're called to demonstrate a little bit of... Um, <clears throat> Ecumenical humility, if you will. It might mean that we're called to open our imaginations to the possibility that people are finding truth in their existing religious or non-religious experiences. Not in a way that says everything is equal. Not in a way that says it doesn't matter if you know Jesus. But in a way that says... He has not been far from any of us at any point. And that meaning that you're finding will deepen and enrich itself in the light of Jesus. Under the witness of the resurrection. So Paul says, quite famously in one of his letters, I have become all things to all people, so that by any means I might save some. He's like, to group A, I became a group A. To group B, I became group B. To group C, I became group C. So that I could reach all of them with the gospel. This, much like Acts 17 actually, is a very popular passage among churches that are really excited about spreading the gospel to new people. But here again, if we, take the, if, we, if we take that, I think this is from the Jewish tradition that the scriptures are like a many-sided jewel. And every time you turn it, the light catches it a little differently. The jewel is getting turned for me on that passage too. All things to all people so that by some, any means I might save some. Let me tell you what I mean. Typically, I have read that passage to mean and I have heard that passage preached to mean that Paul is willing to engage in some religious cosplay. (laughs) That he's going to engage in this somewhat farcical activity of acting like something he's not. And the assumption is that he's kind of stooping down to some level that he's actually above. to speak in a way that's obviously wrong just long enough to convince somebody that they need to be converted and then to draw them out of that completely. 
And if the jewel of Scripture is getting turned to catch the light in a new way for me right now on that passage, it's this. that I think maybe what's happening there is not stooping so much as Paul recognizing the expansiveness, the spaciousness of God. Of Paul um, recognizing and allowing the possibility that God was speaking through those other traditions all along in some non-zero way. What Acts 17 begins to show me, and I hope it begins to show us, is that it's not just the generic Gentile who's welcome in the family of God. It's not just that the door is open to the bland Gentiles who say nothing offensive. It's not just that the doors are open to the ones who are already in the category of people known as God-fearers, like Cornelius was, who are already praying uh, and and practicing uh, Judaism as best they can with the limitations that are placed on them. It's not just that the doors are opened to the scripture-reading Gentiles, like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, who is diligently seeking truth in the holy scriptures that Philip was used to finding truth in. You know, the ones who just are just so close. They just need someone uh, with a, a, um, a better religious brain to explain it to them. Right? It's actually that God is laying the foundation and has been laying the foundation for the truth of the Christian message in a way that takes root in people all over the world from all kinds of different religious traditions and and. Today, I think we would be silly not to include people with no religious tradition or with no current religious tradition. Do you see how that's just a slightly different take on Acts 17? Just a slightly different take on the all things to all people idea? What does it mean for us as a church? This is going to require a little bit of a little bit of religious bravery, perhaps. This series so far has been mainly about a specific type of embrace that leads us as a community of believers into a sort of exodus, if you will. Right? That's really what it's been about. Um, we've been talking specifically about welcoming LGBTQ plus persons, in light of the church's welcome of Gentile persons, and I've told you specifically that that has brought us to the point of needing to make a difficult decision to separate from our denomination. So that's what I mean by an exodus, a crossing of the Red Sea into a wilderness of some kind. We very much want to continue to welcome LGBTQ people into our fellowship in a way that's even more intentional than we do now and with even deeper respect and with more expectation that they are actually going to advocate for themselves and point us to a deeper truth that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us through them, not the other way around. Even the language of us and them is deeply problematic. I recognize that. Um, 
But the theme that has cropped up throughout this series, and I have to say I didn't necessarily intend it at the beginning, this is something that I think the Spirit has revealed to me and to us, is that um, it's not that the people who are already good get to welcome in the people who aren't yet quite so good. It's that the people who are already on the inside, in the, in the course of opening the doors to those who have been marginalized and, and kept outside, are going to get the great privilege of learning more about God's truth that was always present in the outsiders all along. So that's the main thrust of what we've been talking about these past um, several weeks. And, and again, Judy's message last week was right in, in line with that. But today's passage, I don't think, necessarily points us to a specific um, marginalized uh, population. Rather, I think it's um, calling us to open ourselves to an experience of God and with God that's, that's not just about classes of people, but it's about the box that we keep God in in the first place. It's about taking that box that we've got our God in and realizing that it is too small to contain the God that we actually worship. <laughs> and what do you do when you have to do that? You start searching around for a slightly bigger box. Right? I think I have one in the basement. <laughs> but what about the possibility that God is never going to fit in any of the boxes we can find in our basement? I admit to you that I don't know exactly what that means for us. And that I am still doing my best to listen with spiritual humility, to discern in a um, spirit-led way what that means. What if, in keeping with that theme, the sub-theme of the series, um, what if we are the ones who are being evangelized today? What if the inscription to an unknown God is not just Paul's way in to proclaiming Jesus to religious outsiders? What if it's the Holy Spirit's way in to proclaiming the universal Christ to the religious insiders in a way that they haven't been ready to hear it yet. Well, that's something we're going to need to sit with for a while. And so, yes, let's pray. But rather than leading you in a prayer with my own words today, I want to acknowledge that we are all in a season of discernment about many things and that we are going to do that together as a community. So I'm not going to look for any answers before we get to 11 a.m. But I am going to give you and me just about a minute and a half of space in the form of quietness where we can, all of us, Simply listen to the Spirit. 
My question is, could it be? And that has layers of meaning for me. I don't know what your question might be, but perhaps you have a question for the Spirit of God right now. I'm going to encourage us all to take a minute or two of silence and to listen to God together. The story of the book of Acts um, is many things, but one of the things it is is an invitation for us to recognize that the Spirit speaks to and through people we wouldn't expect. That might include yourself. You might include yourself in the group of people you would not expect the Spirit to speak to or through. That might come from the messages you've received within the church. Might come from some other form of self-doubt or wherever it comes from. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to imagine the possibility that the Spirit, whatever the Spirit might have said to you just now, was actually holy. And I want to invite you to consider yourself as part of this community. And to be a voice in our process of shared discernment about what comes next for us as a church. My door is open. So is my email inbox. (laughs) I'd love to hear from you. If you are sensing God's spirit moving in your own heart, in your own mind and thoughts, especially as it concerns your place in this church and our place as a church in the broader capital C church. Really, if it's about anything, but especially if it's about those things, I would very much love to hear from you. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.